hello. I didn't see you come in. Why don't you stop oh, on I'm in? I'm right it's here. Cold out there. Okay. Ah, yes. The fire is lit, and the bearskin rug is freshly polished. It's polished. It's shiny. It's shiny and slippery. Whoa! <laughs> Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, where we review old movies and see how they hold up. What is that smell? <sighs> I've 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 put plastic on everything because I expect <laughs> a lot of liquids to get everywhere. <laughs> what what, uh, what what are you cooking? What is that smell? Papaya. <laughs> the most sensual of fruits. <laughs> yes. I've I've quite the spread. Oysters, Spanish fly, mangoes. Chocolate-covered strawberries. <laughs> peanut M&M's. <laughs> oh, green. <laughs> green peanut M&M's. Yes. Oh, come on. Tab cola. <laughs> we got a long, sensual night ahead of us. I know. Let's, of... let's head down to the conversation pit here. Yes. This is going to be an intimate podcast. <laughs> Why is that, John? Well, Greg, because I'm trying to... I'm get... already uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm trying to get you late, Greg. Okay. That was, that was my whole... I was trying to set this up for you. Okay? You were supposed to bring a fine filly over... Look, it's this is all is gonna go to waste. Just gonna eat my feelings now. <laughs> I I would gladly eat a whole bowl of M&Ms. <laughs> I think that's the only upside for uh, Valentine's Day for me, um, being single as I am, is a uh, uh, surplus of candy options. So, Greg, as a as a freshly engaged man, let me tell you, Valentine's Day is severely. Did you say engaged or engaged? I, I meant to say engaged. Yeah, but you said engaged. That, that sounds like a Freudian slip to me. Uh, sounds like you're trapped. Sounds like you're trapped in this relationship. No, and no. And I'm going to do nothing to bust you out, because it's what you deserve. No, no, I'm fine. I'm happy. We're happy. We're so happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to some dark places already. I know. Well, it's kind of apropos, don't you think? Given the movie we watched this week. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's more like... I, I get the more engaged... Again, engaged is not a word, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> more the engaged vibe. More like a, an ennui instead of like oh. actual kind of deep darkness. Yes, because this week we watched the 2000 Hong Kong film In the Mood for Love. sound sexy because it's really yeah. not a sexy movie <laughs> <laughs> nope this i i did not know this um mm-hmm. because i i haven't seen that many wong kar wai films have you ever seen a wong kar wai film before now uh no i did not i have not you've you have not mm-hmm. so again from afar from a distance <laughs> this this movie looks like a sensual affair it is actually anything but it is strictly platonic <laughs> Uh, which I was stunned by. But yeah, this is now generally regarded as one of the best movies of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And it is a very beautiful film, no doubt. Um, but after reading about... Uh, how do you pronounce his name? Wong Kar Wai? Yes, that's his name. Uh, after reading about Wong Kar Wai, um, I discovered that he doesn't use scripts when he's shooting his movies. And uh, I think it shows a little bit <laughs> watching this movie. What do you mean, John? Life doesn't follow a script. I guess that's true, but I don't watch movies to follow life. I watch movies <laughs> for robots and fantasy and things blowing up and mm. big dramatic feelings. I want feelings. Yes. yes. Especially, yes. I mean, I, again, I was expecting a ticket to Bone Town. This is not that movie, though. No, exactly. There's there's a lot of state glances and a lot of 
hands putting over hands and then slowly pulling away. And um, a lot of conversations shot in a in a kind of an oblique fashion. <laughs> Very artistic in that way. We should also explain this is an art film. And as much as the critics admire it, I do not see this appealing to a mass audience. Oh, absolutely not. And, and that's because, um, you know, being the artist that he is, Wong Kar Wai will often shoot things that, that really reflect the character's, let's say, isolation or, you know, like, uh, internal division or something like that. So, like, shooting in door frames, you know, not a lot of two shots, you know, um, you know, like close-ups of hands and things that cut off, you know, uh, an actor's head out of the frame, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's very evident in this movie because it's centered around two people who are married and we don't even see their spouses. Whenever <laughs> no. we do know about them, they're in a different room and we maybe hear them, but we're, they're never seen. And the premise of the movie is these two people connect because their two spouses are cheating on each other. Yeah, so they're basically the, the cuckolds in this, in this situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, speaking of the kind of the artistic license, or uh, not license, but the um, the artistry of this film, we don't really learn about that main plot complication until about 20 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's all establishing these two characters' lives. Um, they're really parallel lives because they're neighbors, and they move in at the exact same time, and, you know, we see them at work. They have similar work relationships, you know, st- stuff like that. So, yeah. Again, it's not until about the 20-minute mark that we really feel, like, propelled into these characters' lives. Well, it's also, like, up to that 20-minute mark, like, everything is so banal. They're just talking about their day, they're going about their routine, and it's only when um, Chow invites her out to dinner that it's like... Yeah, her name is Sa, yeah. Oh, okay, I just call him Chow and Chan. Because I like that kind of little tidbit, is the fact that they're basically... Their names are, like, Smith and Jones. It's... (laughs) Well, yeah, we'll get to the, I guess, uh, ambiguity and uh, uns- unspecific nature of some of the uh, matters of this film. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Chow invites her out to dinner. They're obviously both alone because their uh, spouses are off with each other, or at least that's implied. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, banal conversation. Oh, my husband has that tie, too. Oh, really? My wife has that bag. <laughs> what a strange coincidence that they both just happen to have the same things. They ju- we They just happen to get the same gifts. And uh, basically the conversation very gingerly turns. It's like, so how long do you think it's been going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I I do like the kind of little reveals like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it does seem very natural and also establishes their relationship. As we as we explained at the front, this is a strictly platonic relationship. They do not um, make whoopee in this no. movie. <laughs> in spite of the feelings that they do develop for one another uh, out of this difficult situation where their uh, spouses are essentially cheating with each other. Mm-hmm. But I do like how natural they are together. Mm-hmm. Um, in spite of the situation, in spite of the situation, again, there's there's this complete mutual understanding that they have with one another. And I think that's that is a credit to not only di- the director but also the performances themselves. I mean, very withdrawn, you know, just not betraying a whole lot. And it does it does lend a lot more to the impact when we do see um, actress played by Maggie Chung when she does learn that yes, her husband is having an affair. Um, she puts on a brave face until, but later, a scene later, she's crying in the shower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very. And funny. again, like you know, not not shot like a, not shot with a huge dramatic effect, but again, it just has that much more power because of that. Yeah, and again, we get a lot of shots of Chow. You know, he says like, "I'm going out," and he just goes back to his office and he just sits there alone in an empty room, just smoking a cigarette. And it goes into slow mm-hmm. motion, and we see the smoke billow <laughs> onto the light. Very poetic. Very yeah. A lot of extensive use of slow motion. Well, that's really the high point of the movie because you talked about these 
these most of the movie is these kind of like uh shots you know of characters just talking like uh like you said banal everyday life stuff like that mm-hmm. but where the where the really, movie really comes alive is in these like dreamlike sequences where they kind of first encounter they go to the same noodle shop all the time mm-hmm. and so what happens is you know we kick in the slow motion and then there's this like kind of light pan or not uh light light string music like do 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 and when you see yeah and when you see these video essays extolling the virtues of the film these are the scenes you're going to see yeah exactly because <laughs> um, there's a lot of poetry and power to it and um i i do wish he deployed them or Wong Kar Wai deployed them a little bit more because i think it happens about maybe eight times in the 98 minute runtime mm-hmm. and and really like it it kind of made me lean forward and I, I wanted more but maybe you know <laughs> well i think that's the biggest problem with this movie is that Yes, it's very beautiful. Yes, it's very well acted. You really feel that loneliness and that ennui you described. But it doesn't escalate. It doesn't really, like, go anywhere. It doesn't come to a head, and it doesn't, you know, for lack of a better word, climax. We don't get that. We don't get a release. Which, again, is probably kind of the point. You know, this movie moves at the pace of life, and life obviously doesn't get these nice, tidy resolutions. But... It just kind of like the movie just kind of meanders after the halfway point. You know, it's like it jumps ahead in time. Chan eventually has a daughter, or sorry, a son, and like he moves. Well, I think I think you're jumping ahead a little bit too much. I think I think it's appropriate the way in which it escalates. Um, the one scene I'm thinking in particular, this happens at about the. Uh, I guess this movie doesn't really have acts or act breaks. No, it's exactly. Not that kind of conventional yeah. movie, but it happens about two two thirds of the way through the movie. They rehearse how uh, Maggie Chung's character is going to confront her husband. Oh once yeah, he and this is this, this is trip. my favorite scene. I love this scene yeah. because the way it's staged is you think that maybe Chow has picked up his own mistress because obviously yeah. he's not getting it from anyone, and so she's like <laughs> asking him bluntly, "It's like, do you have a mistress?" And until and then you realize, wait, no, they're rehearsing how she is going to ask her husband, have you been cheating on me? Yeah. Um, which, again, is a, the scene comes together. This is one thing I, I actually don't like about Wong Kar Wai films in that, yes, he does have these little kind of twists mm-hmm. um, where your perspective or your uh, your perspective kind of changes. Uh, as a, And at times it, it is really effective, like in this scene. At other times, though, it, it feels like the rug is kind of like pulled out from under me. And it's more like the director is playing tricks instead of oh, you know okay. trying to illuminate something. <laughs> All right, fair point. Again, because I'm, I should say, uh, revealing my own biases. I'm also seeing this uh, through the lens of his other movies. Um, particularly, I'm thinking uh, the other two movies that I've seen of his: um, Chungking Express and Happy Together. Mm-hmm. And Chungking Express is also kind of the same way. It's a it's a very uh, down to earth movie about people just living by the airport in Hong Kong, you know, just going about their lives. Um, but the way it's shot is with these, like, Dutch angles, and um, also, like, the, the big theme song in that movie is uh, California Dreaming. Oh, okay. Like, this old 60s song, even though it takes place in the present day, 1994, um, <laughs> Hong Kong, you know, you keep hearing the mamas and the papas. Um, again, there's slow motion, there's quick cuts, Dutch angles, something like that. And, like... In spite of in spite of the immense talent he has as a filmmaker, like I'm wishing it was kind of like more true to life. Mm. And there are some moments where I don't, where I feel like you know, again, he's like a filmmaker playing tricks instead of really revealing the 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 truth of the situation. Mm. That's interesting. The one thing I'm, yeah, the one thing I'm, I'm the one scene in particular, and I want to hear your thoughts on this is after that dinner, mm-hmm. Chow invites Miss Chan out to dinner, mm-hmm. and then as they're walking home. 
he kind of takes the first step and grabs her hand, and then she rebuffs him. Yeah. And then we see the scene, like, literally a, a moment later, we see the scene again, and then she, but she makes the first move. Yeah, and then she, but she still kind of is the one that backs away. I don't know how I feel about this, because it does it, like, another time in the movie where we get the same scene just kind of, like, twice. Uh, it's towards the end. I'm trying to remember it exactly. Again, they've been rehearsing. She's She says she's going to ask him. And, you know, they both kind of, like, walk away. And then we see the scene play out again, but this time she cries. And she, you know, embraces mm-hmm. him. So, I don't understand what the point of doing that was. Maybe, again, it's, like, this whole playing with perspective thing. Or, you know, yeah. unreli- unreliable narration or something like that. Yeah, I felt it was kind of unnecessary and I was a little confused. And, <laughs> yeah. again, reading about how he shoots films, I understand what he's doing. He's basically improving these scenes. And he liked how both ways were done. And so he's probably like, let's throw both in the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. And also, like, in terms of, like, a movie being scripted out and planned, mm-hmm. I was waiting for it to kind of, like, come full circle and be like, oh, we're, we're watching uh, two different timelines or something. Or... Yeah, exactly. Like, two different possibilities. <laughs> or, like, like, sliding doors. Yeah, <laughs> we realize we we're, there's a twist revealing the nature of what we've seen, but that that in this movie isn't quite clear. Mm-hmm. And again, it just leads to some some dissatisfaction or or some confusion about what you're actually watching. So that's why I approach I I approach this movie with uh, admiration of of uh, Wong Kar Wai's skill, but also like kind of ambivalence because it it's always kind of keeping you at arm's length, sort of. No, I think he's a fantastic director. I just don't know if he's a good storyteller. And that's where the yeah. kind of disconnect for me comes from. Because it's like, this is an absolutely gorgeous movie, and it's incredibly well acted. But again, like, story-wise, there's just not enough there. It's like, I'd, it's like I, I, could, I totally buy into what this movie message is trying to say and what the movie is about. But again, like, I don't know if it's enough to support it for 90 minutes. Okay, so... Come on, 其實有些東西想請教你你今早拿著那個手袋你不知道去哪裡買你點解這樣問的我沒有我見過款幾骨子想買一個送給我太太周生份人對太太幾細心啊誰是誰呢他份很謙謙的過兩天生日又不知道買
but I don't get a oh, sense. Oh yeah, we of... haven't even said. Yeah, we did. We, were, we didn't even say from the outset. This is actually this is actually a period piece. It takes place in uh, 1962 Hong Kong. Yeah, but besides the costumes and the setting, the, I I don't really get a sense of what's going on, and we're led to believe that there's some kind of political upheaval going on, but I don't know what's going on. I'm an ignorant American. I don't know the history of yeah. you know Hong Kong or China or Singapore or anything. <laughs> Yeah, so, again, probably true to life, there's no exposition there. Mm-hmm. Like, characters are just going about their daily lives. They don't talk, like, you know, <laughs> the way normal people talk. Like, let's say, let's say, not to, not to bring up politics, John, but oh. we have a potential constitutional crisis. Greg, you know? Greg, let's stay, let's stay polite here, okay? Let's, let's keep it small true. talk, small talk. Absolutely, yeah, small talk. <laughs> but, you know, when we talk about our current political climate, like, you know, we don't talk about it, you know, in, in the same way exposition in a movie works. Mm. So I can kind of understand that, but you're right in terms of, because the other thing I, I wanted to, I wanted to um, not commend uh, was the production design. <laughs> because not only do you, like you said, you don't even know the current political climate that they're in. They always, they always kind of tease it sort of, or, or reference it in an oblique way. I, I felt the same thing about the production design because they're neighbors, but it seems like they all share it. They're, they're in like this shared, house situation yeah they have these neighbors who are playing mahjong all night Mm -hmm. and you know but like i don't get a sense of like what separate rooms they're in or you know what how exactly their lives are divided in this way well it's very small quarters we know that much yeah um hence why you know chow and chan are able to run into each other so frequently and also Mm -hmm. uh one of the kind of minor plot points is the fact that they end up spending the night together not really spending the night together, but they do spend a lot of time physically yeah, spending fi- the night yeah. together. Yeah. In each other's not rooms. intimately. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is they don't want to start gossip. They don't want to start rumors. So they have mm-hmm. to kinda of like hide this. Even though they're just hanging out. They're just being yeah. friends, but they don't want it it implied that they're, you know, canoodling. So yeah. there's a moment where they kind of get trapped in the room with each other because everyone kinda of comes home earlier than is expected and she can't leave. So he's well, come home earlier than expected, and they're there playing mahjong all night. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and so she can't leave until the next morning, till everyone's like asleep or gone or not noticing. So I do kind of like that that kind of development. Again, like there's that escalation I was looking for, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't really go into. A, and again, like eventually the building gets sold, and she buys it. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we don't really uh, that. I, yeah, that I didn't quite understand either. Yeah. I guess there's there's a lot left on the table. Yeah, because I can't remember their neighbor's name. She's the only other character who's kind of characterized outside outside of these two, outside of Miss uh, Mr. Chow and Mr. Miss Chen. Yeah. Um, because she's she's the one talking. She's a very talkative neighbor. She knows exactly all their kind of affairs. Mm-hmm. Like uh, like oh you're you're um you're staying home from work today or you know mm-hmm. oh you're home late like you know. Well, I think that's kind of the extent of her conversation, though. And then there's another character, a coworker of Mr. Chow, who's like a degenerate gambler. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I went to a whorehouse because I thought it would improve my luck. And then I lost a thousand. <laughs> then I lost a thousand dollars. Could I borrow some money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we don't. Again, like there's, I don't, I don't see what exactly that character is lending to the narrative. <laughs> um, I, it's just kind of one amusing scene. But uh, for the coworker, I think it's just meant to be like a little comic relief. He's kind of like a cartoonish scumbag. I guess, yeah, um, I, in, in sharp contrast to a decent guy like Mr. Chow. Exactly. And I do think with the neighbors, the whole point is, again, this kind of like social aspect and going back to the whole banal nature of everything. A big theme throughout the movie is politeness. It's like mm. they're always making this comment. They're always like, you're, you're, you're too kind. You're too polite. You know, oh, you're being so <laughs> sweet. And, you know, they're always offering, why don't you come sit with us? Why don't you have a meal with us? And, you know, they're always rushing off. They're always busy. And I do think it's 
this it goes along with this whole kind of undercurrent, this theme that no one's really willing to talk about the deep stuff that everyone kind of keeps yeah, things surface level. Yeah. And I think that's the point of the neighbors. It's meant to demonstrate here are some people who are perfectly happy and content because they have no internal lives. <laughs> well, I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I do, I do like what the movie touches on in terms of their internal lives. Mm -hmm. They do have a goal outside of work, and that's to write a uh, martial arts serial. <laughs> ah, that's true, yes. <laughs> Manga, yeah. We, uh, at one th detail we, we left out, when they do uh, spend the night together, mm -hmm. um, they're actually writing, they're actually working creatively, they're collaborating creatively on a, uh, on a serial. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And again, I I was hoping I do like that they like kind of have ambitions outside of work or interests or things things that really build the internal life of a character. However, like uh, Mr. Chow's bald uh, coworker, we don't we don't get any other details besides that. We just know what it is. But I was wondering if like if we would see it acted out or how it would illuminate their story in some way. And it uh, but we don't know exactly what they're writing. Yeah, and it would be maybe a more interesting twist if we did get more of an internal life of the neighbors. Or something mm -hmm. like that. Like again, we would reveal some kind of secret about them, and it's like, oh, we all contain multitudes. But yeah, we never really get that. But <laughs> that's probably that's that's probably the fault of the movie we watched last week, mm. uh, Bicycle Thieves, which does a, an exceptional job at you know kind of filling out a whole society. Uh, here, here, not so much. Yeah, I mean, this is still a fine movie, but yeah, I. Eh. Like, but John, can, you can we get just to, you... can we just get to the ending? I'm just so confused by the ending. <laughs> Go ahead. We we jump time like five times. You know, it's like 1962, then 1963, then 1965, then like 1968. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Chow is moved to Thailand. He's kind of like set up work there. Um, Mrs. Chan has had a child. She's had Singapore. A Singapore, I think. Is I think it, it is works it, with Singapore. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was Thailand or Singapore. Yeah. Well, he winds up in Cambodia. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> but he starts, like, moving around, and she starts a family, quote-unquote, because, again, the husband's still not around. We never see mm -hmm. him. And then there's these, these title cards, these very poetic title cards that are like, oh. <laughs> but his heart, and I don't know if that was, like, maybe that was meant to be coming from the serial itself or something. Yeah, or it's it's kind of read like scripture or something like yeah, that. I was exactly. gonna say, like was something like quoted? Very, yeah. Was something being quoted? Yeah. And again, like it just kind of happens all so quickly. And again, maybe it was like that was the back half that was chopped off from the cans cut. Yeah, maybe. Like maybe that's the that's where that like they fill out more of that in the two hour version. But uh, I just didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'm dumb. Really, I'll, I'll I'll freely admit I know, that. but I. No, you're right. It is ambiguous. Like everything else in the movie, it's ambiguous and not clearly explained to dum-dums uh, like us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I admired that just um, just for fulfilling the richness of life. I, again, it may not be, quote, world-building, unquote. Yeah. But again, I, I felt like it felt like a natural kind of conclusion of the story in terms of these people are developing feelings for each other, but they never act on it. Mm -hmm. And then their lives takes them take them in wildly different directions. Yeah, exactly. And so I liked, I liked it from kind of that perspective but i also love the kind of visual relief because now we're physically going to different places mm -hmm. <laughs> so much of the movie takes place in this uh in this subterranean noodle oh, yeah, shop it's very and, the, and this really tight yeah this really tight apartment complex and hotel mm -hmm. and now uh mr chow winds up in cambonia and at the beautiful angkor wat you know temple mm -hmm. outside on a big on a on a bright blue beautiful day and i was like wow what a visual relief and suddenly <laughs> i felt like kind of the the grandeur of the story a little bit when it was so tight and intimate before mm -hmm. exactly and, and maybe maybe that's the point maybe uh again yeah he uh mr chow talks about you know uh monks 
and how they used to, you know, whisper their wishes into these little holes and then cover them with mud. And then the Which climax is, yeah. is literally taking place at a temple. And again, what do we see him do? We see him whisper into a hole, and then we pull out and we see it just covered in mud. And yeah. we just <laughs> get, you know, a few final shots of this gorgeous, you know, slow tracking shots through the temple, and we see the mm -hmm. crumbling architecture and how gorgeous it all is. And, you know, then end. <laughs> yeah, it's the only point in the movie where it it works like a conventional movie. It sets something up and then pays it off. Yeah, later. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and may, again, like maybe it's because he's kind of not maybe achieved enlightenment, but gained some perspective. Realized, all right, I'm never going to be with the one I love, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, right, there's well, more to life than this, and you know, he's 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 achieved his own kind of greater perspective. Yeah, you see, you see some contentment there, and that's all I can I can hope for, Mr. Chow. Mm -hmm. Again, it's it's one of those one of those performances I love out of um, Tony Lung, mm -hmm. <laughs> one where they give you very little, because <laughs> he's he's he is such like a nice, pleasant man, sort of. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's obviously developing these feelings for his neighbor, and so there there's a lot of withholding, and that's the kind of like that's when those are the kind of performances that make me lean in, like oh, what's what's going on here, mm -hmm. but. Um, I did like the way that the story developed. I mean, it it sounds like you were a little dissatisfied with that, but well, I mean, me, I'm I, I I'm going I, on the opposite end. I thought it was like a great natural conclusion to our story. What little of it there is. Yeah, I mean, again, it's I I have a tough time sometimes with these movies. Like the last one, I can remember thinking like this is a gorgeous movie. I just don't know if it ends up as a satisfying whole is like the uh andrew haig movie 45 years oh yeah what was it like charlotte Bransborg? exactly like yeah and it's very much like this movie it's of the same vein where it's like it's about the emotions they're not showing and <laughs> for me i just i don't know i can't square that because personally for me i like a little more excitement i like a little more histrionic i want to see crying and throwing up plates and things breaking <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you want it to play by, like, a, a conventional kind of movie standard, sort of. Exactly. Like, I'm th but I also yeah. appreciate subtlety. And I appreciate, yeah. you know, the great performances you get where the characters just, they're not expressing it on their face, but you understand the internal turmoil. Yeah. And obviously... Well, they are expressing it on their face. They're just trying to hide it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, on the one hand, I do appreciate that, but I'm also like, oh, just throw that vase and, you know, get angry. <laughs> yeah. And cry. cry. I want to see tears. Just get together bone. I just want to see a bone. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see it stick yeah, the, them to uh, each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the movie I was reminded of, um, and it's the, part of, uh, it's the part of the movie I actually like, and that's Brokeback Mountain. Mm. And it's when... So the Brokeback Mountains in kind of three acts. The first act is when they're out on this uh, shepherding or whatever, and they meet and fall in love. Mm -hmm. But my favorite part of the movie is the second act when they when they diverge and get married and start families and things like that. But they're still like carrying a torch for each other. That's what I find really fascinating and about that movie. And I felt the same kind of fascination here. Mm -hmm. You've got two people thrust in the same situation who are kind of developing feelings for each other, but. Like, like, can we can we act on it, or what what direction is life going to pull us in? Mm. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I again I, I admire it. Um, I can't say that I I loved it, mm -hmm. but again, Wong Kar Wai is a tremendous effort. Let's maybe John maybe we should write him a script. Ah, that's a great idea. Wong Kar Wai, call us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's the other point, John. John, let's play script doctor here. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. All right, let's wash our hands. Okay, scalpel. So y you would like to make it more histrionic. You would like those those roller coaster moments of like you know high peaks and deep valleys. And I just wanted them to have like one final argument, and it's okay. and it also seems like it was building to that because 
Um, I guess we forgot to mention Miss Chan is a travel agent. Yes. And uh, eventually Chow decides, like, I'm just going to move. I can't handle, mm-hmm. you know, living here, seeing you every day and carrying a torch for you. So I'm just going to leave. And he asks her for a ticket. And, of course, the line is, if I got a ticket, would you buy one too? And eventually, uh, like, that line is read again from her. Yeah. And again, like, this whole idea is that, like, you know, they both obviously care for each other, but they're not willing to uh, kind of upend their whole lives for each other. So, yeah, you can see. And, well, and I, I like, like again, I just wanted, like, one more fight. Like, one big, like, disagreement. <laughs> one big falling out where they're like, oh, I, I, I never want to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the way they confront that. How how subtly they confront that. It's like, oh no, I don't think I would. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> and they can't like you know they don't act out of anger with it. Mm-hmm. I guess that's true. Um, the one thing again, I wanted to see the story that they were writing and how illuminating that could be for their internal life. That's because that's essentially what art is. It's like I can't say this any other way. So uh, like, how how would they really express themselves in the story that they're writing together? Gotcha. But, I mean, maybe it would turn into a romance serial, not a martial arts serial. <laughs> That's, no, that would have been more interesting if it was a martial arts serial. <laughs> what if it? What if it became a uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or uh, oh shoot? Uh, I know Juan Carbaugh did do one of those like Wuxia fiction, like, oh, okay, <laughs> high wire uh, like a ridiculous martial arts movies. I just can't remember what it's called. Now. That would be the ultimate twist of the movie: is that we cut to <laughs> 2017, <laughs> The Great Wall. Written yeah. by Chow Chan. <laughs> hey, you can have an excuse for another uh, Matt Damon cameo. Ugh. He just pops. In, he just pops into. These he just pops now. in everywhere. Yeah. Doesn't he have like a like another job he should be doing? <laughs> I know Jason Borden didn't do so well, but you know, he's like you know doing downsizing. Obviously, must have taken some time, right? Yeah. Who could who could forget Suburbicon too? Oh, I mean, that's right. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> In any event, we're getting off track. Mm-hmm. But in the mood for love, uh, maybe one day we'll be we'll be in the mood to revisit you. But <laughs> not for a while. Again, gorgeous yeah. movie, absolutely poetic oh, yeah. and beautiful. I can't really say I love it either, but uh, an mm. admirable effort. Yeah, thumbs up. Again, you admire. Yeah, you admire the craft behind it, mm-hmm. um, and and the performance as well. But. It's just, it's just. There's a, there's a wall between you, and you really, and you, can, and you kind of want to tear it down, but also you're just like, you know, would you go so far that as to question? call it a great wall? <laughs> that first of all, racist. <laughs> Second of all, I wish I. It's a, it's a shame. This is a podcast because my grin is just ear to ear all the way to the back of my head. <laughs> I, I'm picture. Yes, I'm picturing uh, one of SpongeBob's patented <laughs> smug grins. <laughs>
event, John, let's get into less... I'm, I'm feeling less artistically inclined now. Okay. <laughs> let's recommend something for the masses. Okay. And we do so every week with our patented spotlight section. <laughs> spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie! It's time! Spotlight section? I, I don't... Well, it's a... It's a whatever. Spotlight. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> It's really more of a segment, Greg, not a section. Okay. Say, you're right, I know. Yeah. And now on to the news section. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, they, the news section of the show, they, some people say that. Okay. I, I'm sure I could think of an example one of these days. <laughs> just, give me, just give me an hour later, I'll, I'll scream it. Okay. <laughs> Jaybug, what do you have for Spotlight this week? Uh, they finally put the fourth season of Broad City on Hulu. And, oh, hey. what a delight. <laughs> um, I, believe, I believe the expression you should be saying is, um, yes, queen. <laughs> Um, Is it, am I doing it right? Yeah, yes, queen. All right, Greg, f- f- listen to me very carefully. It's okay. yas queen. Yeah, yes, yas queen. Yes, yas queen. Yes, queen. It's y a a a a s. I'm saying it right. K w e e e e n. Queen. Okay. Yes. Yes, queen. Okay. Okay. I'll keep practicing. Yes, queen. Yes. Yeah. Just keep saying that while I talk. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, Broad City, for those not in yes, the know, queen. Uh, started yes. life as a yes, uh, sketch queen. comedy yes. show on the yeah. internet, yes, aka replacing television. Yes, and queen. so naturally, what did they do? They yes. adapted it for television. Yes, queen. And it yes. stars Alana Glazer and yeah. Abby Jacobson yes. as yes, Alana queen. and Abby. Uh, right, yeah. what you know, folks. Yeah. Yes, and it's basically queen. just about their misadventures living in New York. Yes, Yes, queen. Okay. Yes, queen. <laughs> yes. Um. It's uh. It's very analogous. I know it's analogous to like it's always sunny in Philadelphia and these other <laughs> sitcoms about scumbags trying to make it in the world. <laughs> they're not so much scumbags. They're just kind of like again. They're not as like sleazy, obviously, as the uh, people of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. The gang. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it, they're very immature. They obviously do not mm-hmm. make very good decisions, and they do end up. Um. The other thing this movie has or the other thing this TV show has going for it is it's much more whimsical. Like oh, It's yeah. almost like New York is a character itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, New York is always credited as herself. <laughs> oh, of course. That's right, herself. <laughs> um, this past season, there's a there's an episode surrounded about Abby get, just gets this bag, this very uh, expensive, fashionable bag as a gift. And basically it turns okay. her whole life around. And uh, at one point, you know, it's this montage where she's like, uh, traveling New York, everyone's smiling at her, everything is going her way, and of course she runs across a homeless man who's like rubbing himself, <laughs> and she's like, "Ew!" And he's like, "But the bat- wait, wait, rubbing himself? You mean like a like a rash on his on his chest or something like that? Where? Oh, Greg. Oh, what are you talking, oh, Greg? Greg? What? I, I'm sorry, I don't understand. So he's rubbing himself, and obviously she says something. She goes, "Ew!" And he goes, "But the bag!" And she's like, "I know, right?" <laughs> So that excuses it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, like, okay. it, it, it's it's all the struggles that a young 20-something living in Brooklyn would have to deal with just kind of, like, amped up to 11. Yeah. So that, like, I, it's I, that mix of, like, verisimilitude just exaggerated, you know, to the nth degree yeah. that makes it a lot of fun. I, I do admire it for that. Um, if, but again, you mentioned that energy. Like, it is pitched to 11 all the time. And so that is, like, alien. That's, for me, a little bit alienating. Um, not all the time. Like, what I kind of like is that uh, they kind of save it for, like, the season finale. But there's, oh, like, usually the episode will, like, kind of close with just kind of, like, a small little intimate moment between Abby and Alana. Just kind of, like, shooting the shit. Just talking. 
Mm. And again, you can yeah, tell it's true. like it's very improvised. It's very kind of like personal, and it's just kind of like cute. Again, go like kind of regrounding everything. Like at the end of the day, it's about these two in their relationship. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fourth season, um, I think, is probably the best season cohesively that they've done. I don't think they've obviously done better episodes, but you can tell that there's this thematic resonance going throughout the whole season. It's the closest thing they kind of had to an arc. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. The way you said that is, it was like, um, oh, this is their best album. Um, <laughs> this album may have better songs on it, but yeah, exactly. Like uh, they've they've done better single episodes, but this whole yeah. season has been very cohesive. This is their this is their Kid A. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't really like Kid A. I'll be honest. Neither do I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just. <laughs> Did you know that's a meme now? Oh really? Yeah. It's um somebody uh it's like a it's a youtube meme where like x show describes every uh radiohead album oh okay so um the first album is is inspired a little bit by uh, from what i've seen of the meme and i haven't heard every radiohead album but (laughs) (laughs) the first one is uh down to earth a little bit grungy and yeah when they get to kid a it's always like some ridiculous like drug drugged out sequence or something (laughs) so i'm sure i look for that youtube video um where broad city explains every radiohead album (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm sure they'd be that's a perfect well it's kind of ironic because there is an episode centered around them doing mushrooms this season so ah. there you go that's their kid a nice but what's yes. their okay computer though john what's, what's the one where they really really uh, I, struck out in a good see, way not i like okay cute i like oh this is not the see this is unfair because i'm not a typical uh radiohead fan no 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 yeah i'm talking about like like um again really like burst out onto the scene you know like uh, it, obviously it wasn't there it wasn't their coming out party but it was there like you know uh, uh rocketing off into the stratosphere of musical quality <laughs> um what was the episode? That would probably be knockoffs. 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 Which one's that one? That one is centered around uh, Alana's mother comes to town, and uh, they basically they spend the whole day just trying to get knockoff handbags. <laughs> nice. The MVP of the the show, and they've obviously started using her to great effect, is uh, Susie Elsman, who plays uh, Alana's mom. Because Alana uh-huh. is this kind of like very over the top character, and then obviously when they introduce the parents, which they've mm-hmm. done obviously with both characters now at this point, but you know uh, <laughs> Susie Elsman obviously the most, you know this just over the top Jewish stereotype. You don't come to visit for months on end, and then you get bed bugs, and now all of a sudden you want to show up. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you know what? You're disavowed. You're losing your plot. <laughs> uh, it's quality empowering entertainment <laughs> for the ladies yes it's for the ladies <laughs> but greg enough about my spotlight let's let, this is valentine's day so let's 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 keep it intimate greg what are you yeah <laughs> well i, I, hear about I don't have day. i don't have anything intimate for the audience i'm sorry I, oh, okay. I know i know we strive to you know get a personal connection just feel close to the audience i, I don't have that this week mm-hmm. um if anything it might drive audiences away because it's another podcast that i have to recommend <gasps> oh dear oh, yes no. I, John, true crime podcasts are so hot right now. So hot. Dirty they are John. scorching. Do not touch them. Atlanta yes. monster. <laughs> Dirty John, my favorite um, Dateline episode put into, <laughs> put into a podcast form. 
<laughs> would S Town count as a? That's mo- really more of a novel. That's like that's like a Tennessee <laughs> William play in, in novel. Yeah, to, in podcast whatever. novel, novel, whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's it, it's true crime adjacent, John, because it, okay. it starts with like accusation of murder. Yeah, someone ends up dead. Yeah, and somebody does up, end up dead. Yes, um, whatever. I'm rolling my eyes now. So, <laughs> John, it's so hot. It's finally time for the Onion to take advantage of it. Strike the iron while it's hot. Yes. Our favorite publication, The Onion. And so what they've done, they've put out a very fatal murder. <laughs> Obviously, the brilliant satirical minds of The Onion, you know, this is this is right material for them, and they knock it out of the park in, already in episode one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is it's only six parts, and each episode is only, like, 15 minutes long, so you can yes, really Yes, mercifully short, mercifully yes. short. <laughs> Does not overstay its welcome at all. No. And, you know, it's it's tightly crafted in terms of the number of jokes they tell mm-hmm. obviously the, obviously the premise we should explain that yes this i can't remember the star of the show whatever the character's name is but mm-hmm. um he wants to find a true crime that is emblematic and and will earn him accolades for you know <laughs> getting the best <laughs> or having the best true crime podcast in the world mm-hmm. And so he's coming through these murders like, oh, but they don't say enough sociopolitically about America. <laughs> and it has to take place in the heartland. It has to do this. And um, my favorite moment is when he feels like he finds the crime mm-hmm. and he interviews the parents. And then uh, he admits in voiceover, like, well, the sponsor wasn't amenable to it. So, <laughs> so we had to find another one. And that's the other thing, too, is that they uh, uh, intercut with fake sponsors and fake commercials, which are also yeah. hilarious and obviously mm-hmm. not befitting of the subject material, what's going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. But the definite high point of, of this first episode is um, the, the parents are giving a, a tearful uh, summary of their, of their daughter, a tearful eulogy of their daughter, because um, <laughs> obviously it's a white woman who gets, um, <laughs> who gets killed in, yeah, who gets killed in this fictional, in this fictional true crime, so... Mm-hmm. So they're having this tearful confession about their their teenage daughter, and then um, the host says, like, oh, that's so powerful. Can you read this? (laughs) And then the mother tearfully reads, "Uh, Hello, nature delivers the best... (laughs) Nature (laughs) delivers the best prepackaged food ingredients. (laughs) Fighting back tears, trying to read a message from the sponsor. Yes. (laughs) So just a brilliant uh, parodic conceit. Again, you you can't go wrong, so... I, I'm sure I'm sure there are other like parody uh, true crime podcasts out in the world that I'm just not aware of. But again, the onion, the onion just does it best. <laughs> well, the other thing too is uh, Portlandia also did a sketch, um, much like oh that this. too yeah. yeah with a public radio kind of intervening in a murder. And again, they both kind of captured or the same. like yeah following around the um, Portland Police Department. Mm-hmm. And again, they both kind of capture how condescending this whole idea of doing a true crime podcast really is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's what. A, that's a reoccurring joke throughout a very fatal murder is obviously this guy thinks he's so superior and so much smarter than these dumb town hicks. Oh yeah. Cause he, he hosts a radio show in New York. I mean, the height, <laughs> the height of, of cultural ascension. That's a, you can't get much higher than that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he makes a point about the windmill. It's the only source of power and entertainment for this whole town. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, Portlandia sketch, uh, my favorite line from that one is, um, they're just wandering around, you know, like basically insulting the police department as they're trying to do their work. <laughs> and he said, and he intones, um, in his, in his reedy voice, like, uh, there's a common expression around these parts. I can't read. <laughs> uh, yes, but very funny. And also like, but what also sucks is like, sometimes there's a parody or a spoof that's just so spot on. You can't go back to watching something straight-faced. <laughs> I, 
Because <laughs> well, I've, I've also th- been listening. Th- to I'm it. fine with that because I feel like we've exhausted this. <laughs> but I, I this tried going trend, back yeah. to listening to Atlanta Monster after listening to this, and I'm I like, oh no, they ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I haven't even, even heard of that one, so now I'm not even sure if I'm, I'm missing that much. Because <laughs> people people fell over themselves for Dirty John, and again, it was a, it was a tawdry, you know, it was yeah. exploitative and just not not very compelling. So mm. I can't imagine I can't imagine any true crime podcast that I haven't that I haven't heard of, well, or like can be any better than Dirty John. So Atlanta Monster obviously taps more into that sociopolitical thing because it's about a serial killer loose in Atlanta in the 1970s. So obviously mm-hmm. it's trying to go for that. You know, what does it say about America? <laughs> How, John, what are you saying about the city of Atlanta? Great. Is it about race? It's about race, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's about the airport. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only one. <laughs> but it's the, it's the only thing they have, Greg. Okay. I t- People don't go to Atlanta for the Braves. Come on. I t- hello. Where else are we going to see Coca-Cola get bottled? Come on. <laughs> when if, where else are you going to go to the CNN headquarters and say you're fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news? <laughs> Take that, Ted Turner. Yeah. Whatever happened to Ted Turner? Is he still alive? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, his his hands are off, sort of. He's he's it's it's not really his his show anymore. <sighs> I know, but I just I miss when he was like in his hands were in every pie. He's like, I'm going to make a cartoon about environmentalism. Let's go. Like, where's that spirit? I want that spirit back in America. I think I think we have that enough, John. I think we have enough hands and enough pies. I'd rather no. I'd rather see the people's hands making I just pies. I just want my big corporate conglomerates the, to have more no, of a face no. to them. That's all. Yeah, no, no. I want no, that no more personal touch. Behemoths. No. As as my uh as my cable bill increases every month. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no. No more hands. I'm giving this back to the people. Oh. I demand we give our environmentally conscious cartoon Saturday morning cartoon shows back to the people. How do you plan to do that, Greg? Well, I'll tell you how it always starts. Social media. Wow. We're starting a grassroots movement here. Swish. <laughs> you can find that grassroots movement at Aspiring Snobs on Facebook and at Aspiring Snobs on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, then and also can... in the world of email. <laughs> It's a whole which, world which of is email. Its own, if you think about it, it's its own social network, if you think about it. It's the way we communicate. <laughs> you can reach out to us with your questions, comments, and recommendations yeah. at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yeah. What did you think of In the Mood for Love? Again, were you frustrated? Were you were you compelled? Like, were you enraptured? I mean, because this, this could potentially be a very divisive film. Mm-hmm. And if you have other movies you want us to revisit, why don't you recommend them? Mm-hmm. We probably won't accept them because we've seen quite a bit, and... Uh, <laughs> Pretty freaking. Well, we can talk about them. Here, write us a recommendation for a movie you would like us to talk about, regardless of whether we've seen it or not, or, Mm. you know, whether it qualifies as, you know, a movie one of us hasn't seen and, you know, deserving of the full profile on Mm. the full review on the show. Yes. Uh, Excellent idea, Greg. Good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'll get late. You'll get laid yet. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They'll want us to talk about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey or something like that. So now that you've done all that, why don't mm-hmm. you go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher? Yeah. You should really be doing this first, since mm-hmm. you're already there. Exactly. Ideally, that's where you already are right now. So why don't you give us a five-star review, and that'll help people find us. And we need those subscribes, guys. Come on. Come on. I, 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 we're subsisting off those subscribes. <laughs> we, we need them like we need love. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm my own man. I'm independent. Don't need it. All right. Love, love. What's love got to do with it, John? (laughs) 
That's an excellent question. If only you could put that into song form. Uh, no, I think it's impossible. Okay. All the worst songs are about love. Mm. You should never write a song about love. <laughs> <laughs> it would never chart. Get it out of here. This is the part where we reveal we're actually robots, and we don't understand <laughs> love. Indeed we are, and we're only... <laughs> what uh, is this useless human emotion? <laughs> And we're only consumed with uh, the uh, efficiency and success of that product. <laughs> we don't do anything, you know, assuming that it's not hugely successful or, you know, contributing in some way. In the mood for love, wasted too much time on string music. <laughs> string yes. music is useless. <laughs> Inefficient. There should have been electronic score. <laughs> Tony Lung and Maggie Chung should have boned. <laughs> this, we find, is the most compelling source of drama. <laughs> Sexual intercourse. John, we are required to tell the audience what we are watching next week. <laughs> so that they can watch next week and join in the discussion. Well, Greg, we're nothing if not classists. So next week we'll be watching <laughs> The Ruling Class. Starring the late, great Peter O'Toole. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a musical, right? Uh, I, I, I don't think it's a musical, but we'll find what? out. No, it's just it is, isn't it? No, you're thinking obviously, of... obviously we know a lot about the film that we're about to watch. <laughs> you're thinking of Man from La Mancha. <laughs> he was not in Man from La Mancha. Yeah, he was. No, he was in. A... You're thinking of a Man for All Seasons. <laughs> no, Man of. He was in Man of La Mancha. He was drunk the whole time. All right, hang on. I'm looking. I'm looking this up. No, right I'm now. looking this up. I'm... Oh, you, ooh, you're about ooh, to eat your yeah. words, good ooh, sir. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, beep. British black comedy film. Satirical stage play. Oh, it's not a musical. Shit. Ha! <laughs> ah, gotcha. Damn it. And, let's see. Man of La Mancha. Don Quixote de La Mancha. Ha! Eat it. But, no, that's the, yeah, that's the character, Don Quixote. <laughs> yeah, and that's Peter O'Toole plays him. And that's a musical. Hey, hang on. I want to look this up. Oh, my oh, gosh. Peter O'Toole. I am Sir Don Quixote, the lord of La Mancha. My destiny calls and I go. I should go to that. a separate page for his whole filmography. This no, I see. You know what? I actually. Oh, okay. All right. So the man from La Mancha came out a year after the ruling class. So that's why you're confused. Ah. Uh, also, you're an idiot. Also, why you're confused. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Sean. We'll 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 hash this out off air. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs> <laughs>